Hi, thanks so much for tuning into the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. Each week, I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact small nonprofit. This is the second installment of my short series revisiting some of the incredible conversations I've had with folks as part of this podcast, particularly as part of my next normal series that I launched at the beginning of this year. As so many of us continue to grapple with the implications of COVID for how we work and how we lead and what our organizations are going to look like moving forward, I wanted to revisit the idea of leadership in this next normal that's being created. I call it the next normal because what counts as normal is always changing and evolving. The work of social impact and social justice and leadership and even the structure of nonprofits is constantly changing and has been accelerated over the last 18 months of this pandemic, we are actively co-creating a next version of normal in our sector for social impact. And I hope that it's one with deeper equity and more honesty about what is broken and what we still have left to fix in our world. This week, I'm looking at a theme that's related to this honesty and equity. It's a theme that came up a bunch in the conversations that I had what it looks and feels like to have a true, equitable partnership with your funders. How has that been changed by COVID? And what are the hallmarks of a healthy relationship? These conversations in these snippets are with Marcella Tillett, VP of Programs and Partnerships at the Brooklyn Community Foundation here in New York, where I live, Terry Davis Merchant, Program Director of Housing and Homelessness at Trinity Church Philanthropies, and Robin Walker-Murphy, the Executive Director of the Groundswell Mural Project, also here in New York. The themes that came up in all of these wonderful conversations were, one, power. What does it look like in a healthy funder-grantee relationship? And how does it show up maybe in some not-so-healthy ways? Two, partnership. How do you actually build a true partnership? These snippets offer a bit of behind the scenes on funders' perspectives on support and partnerships, as well as real insight that I'm sure will resonate with many of you from Robin as a grantee about what feels like a partnership and what doesn't. And finally, third, some best practices, some really great tactical advice, particularly from Terry and Marcella, about How do you start relationships with funders? How do you build relationships with funders? And how do you make sure that you are organizing your work in a way that demonstrates the impact that you can have collectively with your funders? So this week and for coming weeks, I will continue to revisit and curate a few collections of these wonderful conversations. They're all going to be around themes of leadership. My hope is that the conversations will give you some food for thought in your own leadership, and in your own crafting of the next normal for your organization. Enjoy. I've had conversations with funders in the last 20 weeks. Some of them have been great. You know, I shout out Brooklyn Community Foundation. And some of them, I wish they would shift the way that they deal with their grantees' time. 
I've had people ask me questions about like, I'm thinking about in response to the current moment, I'm thinking about like this new, what do you think? And spending my time and da, da, da. Yeah. And then it's like, what do I get out of that? And you well, know, that's an equity issue too. That's another shift in power. Because who says no to talking on the phone with the funder about something? Who's going to say no to that? Like, so I just helped you. I'm going to see my ID in a couple of months, yeah. right? So how do these shifts and dynamics change? I've had people, could you send me an LOI for something that you want to do based on this? And I spent a whole weekend working and heard nothing about it, right? So the way in which those power dynamics actually need to shift as well. So yeah, I think it's the actual work of making change is really hard. I don't think it's going to last really long. I do think this for some people, this is a moment, right? There's a moment and the moment will pass. There's many of us who this is our lives. This is every day. We'll still work through it. I think it's really important to figure out how you can leverage it while it happens, right? So when the moment is here, how do you leverage it to get what you need? These young people who are marching on the street, some people are happy that they're doing it. Some people are like these disruptors. A lot of people are getting promotions right now based on the work happening on the street. Mm -hmm. Let's be real. Mm -hmm. All this work, this movement work that's happening, there are companies, organizations who are now, well, let me get this black person in this role or let me get based on what these babies are doing outside. And so the people who are also like seeing their promotions happen need to be thanking those foot soldiers on the street, because that's always what happens to kind of shut down or to kind of respond to this. Mm-hmm. A lot of us get promoted, get more jobs, get more contracts based on what happens on the street. So it's always important for us to remember the connectivity, yeah. right, that happens. Well, it's interesting. I mean, talking with some funders, going back to the question of like, are there real structural changes happening? That's actually one place where I am really hopeful. I have had so many more conversations with funders in the last three months where they just internally are working with themselves, with their boards to say, if we were able to relatively quickly and somewhere faster than others and say, here's unrestricted money, here's money for an additional year, call our grantees, tell us what you need, work in more genuine partnership with our grantees. If we could do that, in May of 2020, it means we can do it in May of 2021 and May of 2022, right? It means that it is possible for us to function in this way. And I think there are some very interesting conversations happening in philanthropy about how are we not understanding our own power? That's actually really been interesting to see. I know you have the plug on them. And this is something you can educate me about because I'm coming from like the side of like, what would be hard about people not putting on their website by invitation only. Agreed. And then it's like, if you're going to be that foundation, that's like by invitation, which is elitist to me, but could you at least say asterisk and this is how you can be invited? There has to be some <laughs> demystification of that. Something about funding and sometimes with foundations, like you got to wait till you get the golden ticket. Information is a form of power, right? And so holding, hoarding the information versus sharing the information, being transparent, those are ways of shifting power also. And I'll be honest, I think some of that has to come from people outside of philanthropy, right? Grantees calling the program officers that they do know, that they are comfortable with, and maybe even some that they aren't, and saying what you just said. There's, in the same way that you are trying to be sort of open to what is needed, I do think that there are more foundations than I've ever seen 
that in their own way are more open than they've been. Mm, that's so good. Listening to, to their grantees, to having a grantee call and saying, look, this proposal, this RFP is going to take me 13 hours. I could just send you a page and you will have all the information you need. Right now, that is not to say that the process will change overnight, but I have talked to probably a dozen or more organizations where the EDs just got so fed up talking about like, I have to strategize. I have to raise my, I don't have 13 hours for this proposal. I'm just going to call my program officer and say, what else can we work out? I love that. I do feel a shift in terms of us feeling more able to ask for what we need. Yes. And just be like, I was talking to someone on my staff. I was just like, we're just going to ask for this increase because what they're going to say, no, we ain't going to get in trouble. Exactly. Like, we have to be bold and just, they say no, then we just, all right. No, that's exactly right. Be brave. And I think that probably a little harsh, but power is either given or taken. That's the truth though, Brooke. So either institutions do the work, people and institutions do the work to give up some of their power and or other institutions, other people have to call reach out, write, say, here's the part I'm going to take. And to me, that power dynamic that exists between a lot of foundations and individuals or foundations and grantees, some of that shift comes from grantees calling and saying, I don't have anything to lose by saying, actually, I'm not going to do it the way that you've asked me to do it. I can't. It's bad for my organization. And it'll be interesting to see in the coming months how much more of that happens, particularly now that we're heading out of this emergency phase where foundations are like, oh my God, we'll do anything. Now we're going to start to see what we settle back into. And just for me, I know just even shifting my mindset from being a grantee to being a partner. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's a mindset shift for you and the foundation. Absolutely. Right. Like this is my mission. This is your mission. This is how we help each other as far as be like, more please. Individual donors too. Exactly. Right. It's, I am creating change in the world, do you want to invest in this change? Right. We can be partners. Your role will be a funding role. My role will be an execution role. And those roles are both important. And right. Let's put it together. Now, I think there's some real shifts coming. Well, thank you so much, Robin. Thank you for, for inviting me. It's such an honor to be invited to talk to you. I think some people listening, organizations listening would say, no, that's too in the weeds. And then I think from my perspective, and I'm trying to sort of go back and put the hat on of like how I would have felt if I presented a budget to a potential funder or a current funder. And they were like, mm. and then I realized, oh, but I've had those conversations. The key mm. is because that's partnership. You and I, and you talk about closing deals where everybody has the same end goal in mind, right? Everything I've heard from you in this conversation is that you see your interests as being aligned with those of your grantees. So you saying to them, this right. budget that you've presented isn't going to get you to a place of equity and impact and sustainability. And I have perspective to share on that. That's a partnership. I think the challenge can be where foundations say that and there are consequences attached, right? You can't have a healthy discussion. You can't, I've had friends say, I looked at your budget. I really didn't like it. So we're not giving you the $75,000, right? Like, oh, Right. So that's the fear. I think when grantees, when organizations hear you say what you're saying outside of the context of the rest of our conversation, right? 
I know my mind goes to all of the funders that look at budgets, have the thoughts you had like, oh, this isn't the right budget, or this isn't a growth budget, or this isn't aspirational enough, or this is too aspirational, whatever the assessment is. And then you just get a letter that's like, I'm sorry, as opposed to an actual conversation, right? That's like, let's talk about how to make this a stronger financial infrastructure. And then let's talk about getting you money to do it. That's a different conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think we were going to possibly talk about this in another part of the conversation, but I feel like one of my worries about some of the things that I've been seeing is the communication piece. Like, it's disconcerting. And again, because I'm just like like, that word, disconcerting. (laughs) Because it goes both ways. Like I was talking to a grantee yesterday and they've gone through a really tough period on top of COVID. There were some issues, leaders, long time leader transitioned out. Like there's just a lot going on. But at the same time, like I shouldn't be hearing about things after they've gone down the path that they have. And yeah. I'm like, it's okay. Call me up. Yeah. Let's have the conversation. And I don't know how blatant I need to be with respect to saying that like up front, like, let me know ahead of time so that I'm not getting it in a report. And I'm like, I cannot tell you how many times organizations have thought they could trust funders with the information. They present themselves as partners and then they're like, oh, shit's falling apart. And the funder's like, well, call us back when you've got your act together. Right. It's a big switch. And that happens often enough that I think the kind of trust you're talking about extending and, and asking for, I feel like you probably have a lot of grantees that are like, but really? I get it. I think. And you're right. It is disconcerting. It is not healthy for philanthropy, for organizations, or for the ultimate impact that you're trying to get to. I think it's just because it's hard, I think, for me to help when it's come down that far. Because <laughs> then I could be like, hey, like maybe let's restructure your budget. Let's restructure the grant. Let's do what makes sense. So there's that part that's difficult. I think yeah. the other communication piece that I've found I've sort of talked a little bit and maybe mentioned it from time to time during this, but we have this sort of strategy and we kind of use it as a framework for like, it allows us to say yes and allows us to say no and allows us to say not right now. But a lot of times I've been in these conversations where people are like, so what are you willing to fund? And I'm like, but what do you want? I've had to have these moments and conversations where I say to people, I know that in a lot of times in philanthropy, people are like, let me tailor a program so that you can give us money. And I don't want to be that way. If you're within our framework and you've got work that you're excited about that you want to do. So because one of the things I ask when I do an interest call is like, so what is exciting for you? Like, what do you want to do in the next year? Like that question has elicited multiple pieces. Someone was like, I wish we could do X. And I was like, really? Okay. Tell me about that. And that's turned into a grant. And so, but I sometimes hear that and I've had to stop people in conversations because I know that that's what they're trying to angle for. And I have to be like, I don't want you to do that because it doesn't do us as a service. And also, right, I mean, nine times out of 10, we're usually in a good space. But I also have to, quote unquote, I'm going to put air quotes, sell this. But I also have to describe the work and like why we're funding you. Like that's part of the work that I'm about to enter into in the next month or so. And I have to be able to craft yeah. a vision of why we're funding you in particular. And so I need to create justifications and talk about strategic alignment and all of these different mm-hmm. things. If we're kind of just pulling from air, it doesn't help me. Like, yeah, it doesn't help either one of us. 
That's right. And so I worry also about that piece of communication, like in philanthropy as well, too. Like, are mm-hmm. people just creating things? And I get it. It's tough out there. Nonprofits need the support. Yeah. So I understand why that happens. But my hope is that when I'm with a grantee, as I'm providing like this jumping off point for them to do the work that they want to do. And that makes sense for us as opposed to them like crafting some kind of program that may not necessarily be where they want to be, but at least they're getting support. What would you say, I mean, you've talked about mutual trust and thought partnership. I heard you talk about leveraging you, right, as a player in this constellation of work. What advice do you have for organizations that maybe are thinking about how to build strong relationships, maybe with Trinity, maybe with other funders? How can they get the most out of those relationships? Again, we're a little different in that, like, I only do housing. And so I know some particularly corporate partners or other foundations, like they play within it, but like maybe they're doing housing one year, maybe they're doing small business development. So I think continuing to check in, like I know there was one just about to bring them on as a grantee. This person and I have been talking since fall of 2019. This person was just like, hey, Terry, (laughs) how's it going? This is what we're doing. Hey, did you check out this thing over here? This one Does that work? Worked on me. But I was also very upfront. I was like, look, like this is not where we are right now, but mm-hmm. we want to do this stuff. Not yet. And so when we were ready to do that stuff, I was like, hey, so guess what? We're ready for it. We're ready for this kind of to consider this kind of stuff. Our thing is coming up. But I knew because she had been keeping tabs. And like another woman, another development person. We have never been aligned, but we know of each other and I know of the organization a little bit. So I understand kind of where the organization is and maybe perhaps they will come on as a grantee eventually. But again, I developed a relationship with her. I sort of know of that organization. And so I'm like, oh, okay. But I would say that when you become a grantee, again, just like a lot of what we were saying before, seeing your funder as a resource that's something, again, as a you know, grant-making organization, is we're constantly thinking about, too, is what is grantee support going to look like for us? We're still really building that out. And that's one of the fun things about not being a traditional foundation is that we have all of these other things. Like, we have a retreat center. We have a building. There's things that we have access to that are not the traditional monetary foundation pieces. And so I would say if you have a grant maker that has access to sort of those non-monetary resources, like someone was like, and it's unfortunately COVID because I would have said yes, but like a grantee was like, hey, can we use your space in the fall? And I was like, gosh, like, I don't think we're doing that yet. But if it wasn't COVID, I'd be like, yeah, let's figure this out. Just look at all of the different ways in which your grant maker can be a resource for you. Maybe they say no now, or maybe they're like, yeah, no, that's not the, but at least you asked. That's been a theme. I mean, in your business, <laughs> no doesn't mean no forever. No yes, might mean no not. right now. Right I mean, now. the example of the grantee you gave, I love that story, right? She kept you abreast. She, it was a relationship. Stayed in touch and no meant no then. And now it's a yes. I'm happy to say like, no, not right now or no, because that to me, Makes sense if we're on the same page. But again, I think that's also the other piece too is I wish organizations knew how to be prepared to talk to us better. What do you mean by that? I think, and because we're very out there with the sort of like, we have a strategy, like we put that up on 
a website. So like, if you know that like our, a lot of our work is about preventing right. homelessness right. and we put like the different types of ways in which we yeah. review prevention, which is quite frankly, fairly broad. It's everything from supporting grants to housing development projects to like, we just did a whole cohort around eviction prevention last year. Like if you're seeing that, it's a lot more difficult to come to us and talk to us about something, doing a lot of work in justice involved housing, where we fund a lot of advocacy, but you're coming to us talking about like something that's just really not within it. Like it's helpful to do the research. It's helpful to be able to articulate like what you want the support for. Like one, you know our strategy and then you're like, yeah, when I asked that question, which I talked about earlier, like, so what are you excited about? What do you want to do? Sometimes people don't have an answer for that. They're like, well, we want to, and I'm like, I'm sure because you're super entrepreneurial, but so you know that like two minute elevator speech, right? Like you should be able to articulate to me like one project that you're just like, gosh, I want to get this off the ground. Oh, we're super excited about this. (laughs) Like one, understand what we're doing to be able to at least articulate one thing that you're just like, yeah, like those two things just like can make that initial meeting super, I think, successful and helpful to both of us. But a lot of people don't do the research or they're not able to articulate what they want. I think that's what she's saying. I want to tell her that maybe she'll actually end up listening to this and and she 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 can laugh at me. What is the relationship that philanthropy should have mm-hmm. in supporting the yeah. ability of leaders? And yeah. to go a little deeper on the question, I know you and I have talked a lot about and worked together in the last couple of years around the expanding and deepening of BCF's investment in capacity, leader mm-hmm. capacity of the individuals. That feels very unique to me. So Thank you for that. So very, I think, central to our approach is understanding that organizations need investment as do leaders. And some of that happens through capacity building. I think there's a lot that can be done through capacity building support, either kind of hosting spaces where that learning and strategy and kind of tool and capacity sharing can take place. So we definitely invest in that and in a way that it isn't just Let's see how far and wide we can go. We really seek to go deep and invest in organizations over time. It's one thing to kind of be exposed to something or learn something new in a session, and then you go back and you kind of go back to the way that you were working before. But to be deeply engaged in a process, which is what we try to create, and you know, you are our favorite person to create that with. (laughs) So thank you for that. (laughs) To be in partnership in that way where we're trying to create an experience that can be transformative to a leader, to an organization. And we understand that that is worth the investment because it's going to get us and the folks that we center in our work, which are communities throughout Brooklyn, specifically communities of color and communities that have been harmed by different types of systemic oppression, we're going to get them the return that they deserve if we invest deeply in leaders and we invest deeply in organizations. So much so, we've had instances where there have been leaders who started with our organizations and then they have transitioned out and we're still investing in those leaders. Yes. Because we know that where they are invested and where they do their work 
is still in the communities that we center in ours. It's still around the issues that our community members have told us they want us focused on. And we know that that investment in that individual person is going to continue to have returns that are much broader than just their development. And their development is also part of our work, right? It's not just we developing people for what they're going to produce for us and produce for communities, but they are also members of the communities that we care about. And so we want to invest in them as individual leaders. I think the other thing I just want to kind of go a little bit deeper on too is investing over time in organizations. Mm -hmm. And that may be you given a grant, great. That may be sponsoring uh, capacity building, not one that we craft and construct and invite grantees and community partners into, but something that they've identified as this is a need. We already know how to fill it. Yeah, We just need this one other piece of the puzzle. That's fine for us. We don't need to be the architects of everything. We are here to be a resource. We are a tool and we are a partner. I think the other thing that I get very excited about, and it is a way of capacity building, is leveraging our role as a funder to help our community partners deepen their connections to other funders and deepen their connections and expand their network. Yes. Talk about organizational sustainability, that network of support. And so many organizations don't know how to sort of go beyond that first network of funders. I do work with organizations that are trying to get sort of to the next level. They've hit four, 500K and they're like, so I know these funders. Yeah. And now what? And you know what? I think, and I'm afraid that like I get a hundred emails, but I'm going to say this anyways. So I'll say this. We have some organizational leaders who are going to tell you what they need and ask for it every time. Yes. Yeah. And I'm clear that I work for you, right? Like I work for you. I work for whether you call them your constituents, your participants, your members, like I need to be responsive. I need to be accountable and I need to do my damnedest to try to help you identify or get access to the things that you need to be successful. I think so often organizations don't ask or they ask too narrowly, right? They will say, I need $5,000 for this. (laughs) And if I don't have $5,000 to give you, maybe because I just don't have it, or I don't have it to support that particular thing you need, right? It doesn't give me a lot of space. But what I can do Mm -hmm. is I can start to introduce you to some people. Yes. And I can start to, for example, um, we've had several webinar series over the past year, and it was really to amplify the work being done as part of our Brooklyn COVID-19 response fund. We wanted community members and donors and all the stakeholders in our universe to understand what was happening on the ground and um, what the foundation was supporting. Without fail, I think after every webinar, whichever guest organization we featured, they would circle back to us within a couple of weeks. Oh my goodness, we just got an unsolicited donation because of who was viewing, right? And I think that's really important. I think that is a way that as a foundation, we should be using our connectedness to others with resources that can be committed to different organizations that we're partnered with. That is a service, right? So we are very intentional and thoughtful about which of our grantees are we inviting to present on webinars, to present to our board, to join us in different meetings. And some of the things we look at are 
what is the racial and ethnic identity of that executive director? How big is their budget? What is the construct of their operating budget? Where do they get funding from? Mm-hmm. Right. We really want to understand how are they positioned and what barriers might be in their way just because of structurally we know that there are patterns in philanthropy. And if we know that this particular organization or this set of organizations are going to face more barriers than others, we're pulling them to the front of the line. We want to shine the light on them first because we know that typically the light is not getting shown on them. So we're very intentional about that. And that comes from a place of understanding equity, right? We're working towards justice, but we have to have a understanding, right? Of not just what equity means, but how does it show up and what does it look like? So I hear the intentionality piece, which I have just loved about you guys from the the minute I started working with you. But I also love what you're saying about leaders and organizations needing to ask for what they need. And I remember my own journey with this, going from being really nervous to pick up the phone to the very targeted, very specific, I need a consultant for this. Can I have a thousand dollars? To, I would love to have a conversation with you about where we're going in the next year And can you be a thought partner to me around this growth budget I just passed with my board? And those are three very different conversations and it is a journey. And Mm -hmm. what are you, I won't say inviting, but definitely saying we're open to, and it feels really deeply tied to this theme of sustainability. Yes. Is organizations getting to that third conversation to the, here's where we're trying to go. Here's where we are. Can you be a thought partner to us, mm-hmm. helping us identify the kinds of resources? What are our blind spots? Sounds like those are very helpful conversations for the organization and yeah. for you. Absolutely. Because we're possible as a funder that fundraises, right? We're a public funder. Maybe this isn't the smartest thing to say, but we don't always need to be the middleman. We don't. If you have a very specific need and I just so happen to be like, oh, a donor just asked about this type of organization, and I know you need this thing, we don't have to be a go-through. We don't have to slow down the process. If I can just put A in touch with B, make that connection, that is a success of the foundation that does not need to show up in my bottom line when I look over the finances for the year. It just doesn't. I know that that's fulfilling the mission of the foundation. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. But the other thing that I will also say is reflecting on the experience you just shared as a leader and developing the comfort and the trust, right? Because I think it also goes back to trust to ask for what you need. Because often we are told, right? And I will identify myself, well, my picture is going to be on there. So they'll see I'm a black woman. We are told that asking for something is a weakness, right? And you should be the smartest and you should be the strongest and you should be the most capable and all those things. Some of that capability is being able to identify the things that you need and ask for them, right? But I know that that's difficult. And I know that that's not going to come as naturally to everyone. And if we are centering leaders of color, and I mean, right now, over 75% of our organizations that we fund are led by people of color. So if I know that this is probably a barrier for these leaders, it almost feels like a gotcha to say, hey, ask me for what you need if I don't think you're going to ask. So something that we just revised our reporting materials and applications and all that, and we had a really great process at the beginning of the year, we invited specific grantees that we know have a history of or a capacity to give us constructive feedback. 
because we wanted honest oh, feedback. Nice. Okay. Yes. Like, so it's like, <laughs> let's go through these lists and which of these grantees have told us things that were constructive? Like, hey, yeah. could you stop doing that? Or I really need you to be doing this. That is really helpful. So we got them all in a Zoom room and they gave us great feedback on our reports and our applications. And we streamlined a bunch of things and we cut down a bunch of things in terms of questions. And one of the things we added to our support visit questions, which will happen annually, is what else do you need from us? How else could we be supportive in your work, right? And that is an opportunity for, and again, you can put it in writing if you'd like, right? Because if it isn't something that you, I don't know, are comfortable asking for to your funder, we are laying the ground to have the conversation. We want you to tell us what else you need. Another question that we ask that I just love is, are there ways we are showing up that are harmful? And the first time I heard that question, it was like my first week here. I was in a support visit with one of our program officers and she asked that question. And as someone who spent much of my career on the other side of the table, I was blown away. I said, whoa. I had to look back at our question. I was like, what are we asking? (laughs) (laughs) This is amazing. (laughs) But I think that is a practice and a demonstration of institutional humility, right? And and accountability and really inviting honesty, not presuming that we are the all-knowing being coming into the relationship and others should just be grateful that we're there. No, that is not an appropriate way to be in relationship with other organizations and other institutions. That question is really about how are we behaving as an institution and what can we be doing differently? This additional question is really about how do we invest more in your institution beyond the funding, right? Because you can always say, give us more money. You can say that. We may not be able to, but you can say that. But asking, can you be a thought partner with us for X? Can you help us build a relationship with other grantees working on this particular thing, right? Because we're going to have access to information that they may not have. And so we do all sorts of brokering of relationships, both with other leaders and other funders. It's great to be able to partner in different ways, right? It's not just about moving money. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends. And I would be honored if you extra liked it, if you would leave a review. I'd also love to share just a few resources with you before we go. If you're the leader of a small six-figure organization and you're ready to scale to the next level of massive impact, I invite you to check out my free training, Scale Your Small Nonprofit to Big Impact. It's a roadmap to getting the funding, staffing, and support you need to hit your first million dollars. You can access it at richiebabbage.com backslash ready to scale. Finally, if you'd like more leadership resources and strategies delivered right to your inbox, sign up for my weekly newsletter, Leadership Forward 321. Each week, I curate and share three articles, two resources, and a quote on a theme. That's all for now. Have a great week, and I will see you back here next week for more Mastermind.